Well, we are in the book of Romans right now. And we have looked at three reasons why so many people reject what you think would sound like great news. The free offer of the gospel or salvation in Jesus Christ. So turn with me in our Bibles and let's look at the passage again before I add one more reason. I want to give you one more reason people so often reject this free offer. But let's read the passage together. Romans chapter 9. So turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9 or swipe your way there on your little device. Romans 9, beginning in verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by, say it, faith. But as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. And now he's going to quote from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. So he he lets us know. Because we know four weeks into this now that we're not talking about a rock. We're talking about who? Jesus. He is a stumbling stone to some. He is a rock of offense to some. But he is such good news to others. I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him. So now the pronoun shifts so that we know we're talking about a person, not an object. Will not be put to shame. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. But not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. And seeking to establish their own righteousness. Have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone who believes. Let's pray together. Oh God, I pray that you would lift up Jesus Christ in these minutes we have left. I pray that you would make much of the person of Christ. Not a system, not just words on a paper. Jesus, the living, risen, soon returning Jesus Christ. Lift him up in the time we have left. Cause people to see Christ. Cause people to want Christ. Lord, rescue people not with a system, but with a Savior in this hour. Cause your word to run and be glorified and to proclaim and declare and make clear Jesus. Lord, where there's darkness, give light. Where there's confusion, give clarity. Where the enemy has brought deception or clouded Christ, throw the spotlight on Christ by your spirit. Bring Christ front and center by your spirit, for our good and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, why do so many people reject the free offer of the gospel or salvation in Jesus Christ? Well, we've already looked at three reasons and I want to review them before we add one more. Number one, 
We said it can be as simple as this. You just might not think you need to be saved. That was the problem with the Jews, especially in Jesus' day, as well as in Paul's day when he was writing this letter to the church at Rome. It's the same problem we run up against today. It's that you're telling someone about something that they don't think they need because I just don't think I'm that, say it, bad. Well, there are bad people. I don't deny that. Just read the news. Look at... You know, look around. There's bad people out there doing bad stuff. I'm just not one of them. So I don't need this. Number two, you might already be so caught up in a flurry of religious activities. It's like, whoa, I'm not, I'm no pagan. I'm no atheist. I'm no agnostic. I'm in church. I'm in a small group. I'm teaching a Sunday school class. Look at all I'm doing. Why are you talking to me? I got stuff going on in my life. And so you think you're going to impress God and earn his favor when he sees how hard you are working at all this stuff, especially compared to other people around you, to be good and do good. It's going to earn God's favor. Number three, last week we saw that you might not be willing to swallow yourself righteous. What's the word? Pride. And it, oh man, pride holds on and has many forms. Many forms. Pride is not just the man or woman in the corner office at work that is so bombastic, so full of themselves, so... There's a spiritual self-righteous pride that we can easily be eaten up with. And it dies hard. It doesn't want to go down. That's what we saw in verse 3 last week, that our own self-righteousness can get in the way of receiving God's righteousness, the the righteousness that he extends freely by grace, it gets in the way because here's the deal. The one rules out the other. You cannot receive God's righteousness while at the same time you're seeking to establish your own. One rules out the other. And you say, "Well, well, why would you say I would be... There's only two options, folks. There's no middle ground. You have either come to a point in your life where you have received helplessly and hopelessly and gratefully the righteousness that God extends or you are right now seeking to establish your own. You say, how do you know that, Brad? Because you're a human being. You're not an animal. You're not an inanimate object. You're not a plant. And so that means God has told us you're created in his image. That's what the Bible tells us. He said when he got ready to make man, let us make man in our own image. Yes, male and female, men and women in this room. You're all created in the image of God. Your image bears. You say, what are the implications of that? What's your point? Here's my point. It means you have a conscience. You don't have to get saved to have a conscience. You just have to be alive. And Romans 2 says the law is written on your conscience. And so you have this sense of right and wrong, oughtness and shouldness. That was not just laid on you. Freud came along and tried to tell us we'd all been screwed up by our parents or teachers or some church that gave you a sense of right and wrong. He made you feel bad about adultery or bad about fornication or bad about stealing. And, and, and your id has been over-socialized. We need to free the id. Free the id. I got news. It's not your parents or a church or a teacher that did that. You were born with a conscience. And parents and teachers and pastors may come along and help you cultivate that, which, praise God, I hope you do cultivate your conscience. We don't need more people who have no conscience. 
They're the ones kicking over side doors at movie theaters and gunning people down. That's where that leads. You have a conscience. And that means you know there's a right and a wrong. And you're the one that wakes up feeling the need to justify yourself. Am I okay? Am I right? I mean, it's human beings that write books like, I'm okay, you're okay. Why? Because we're all wondering if we're okay and we want to be okay. I want to know that I'm okay and it sells millions. It doesn't lie there like, oh, whatever. I'm okay, you're okay. Why do you write that? No, they're buying it. I'm okay, you're okay. I want to be okay. I need to know that I'm okay. I don't know that I'm okay. Tell me I'm okay, please. And then Rick Warren comes along, even that's a secular version. When Rick Warren comes along and, and gives you a Christian approach to this and calls it the purpose-driven life, it doesn't just sit there. It sells a gazillion copies. Why? Because human beings are saying, tell me there's more to life than just getting married, having kids, building houses, taking trips, climbing the corporate ladder. What is my purpose really? You're human, created in the image of God. And that means you have either received the righteousness of God or you're seeking to establish your own. One or the other. Number three, what I want to, I mean, number four, what I want to add today is one more. One final reason that people so often balk at this free offer of the gospel. And it has to do with the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm going to say Ten Commandments right now, but most of the message, I'm just going to use the word the law, the law, the law. It's faster and it's easier and it's biblical. But I want you to know what I mean, the Ten Commandments. So often when I ask people my favorite question, right? If you were to die today and you stood before God, which you would, and he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? One of the top answers I hear has the phrase Ten Commandments in it somewhere, somehow. Well, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. Or I have not broken all the Ten Commandments. One of the reasons people reject the free offer of the gospel is that they are confused or deceived over why God gave us the law. The Ten Commandments. And that's what I want us to dig down into today. Look at it again in verse 31 and 32 in Romans 9. Verse 31 and 32 in Romans 9. But before I read it, let me signal something to you. I want you to notice what verse 31 begins with. What word does verse 31 begin with? But, one of my favorite words in the Bible that I talk about often. Because it's critical. It's a conjunction that's often a turning point. And you know I love the phrase, but God. But God. And almost always when you see in the Bible, but God, get ready for something wonderful. Pull out the streamers, little horns, party hats. It's about to be God doing something gracious, merciful, life-changing in spite of who we are. Like, but God, who is rich in mercy, even while we were sinners, because of his Ephesians 2. But God. However, whenever you see the little word but followed by reference to us, it's almost always really bad news about how ignorant, I said it, ignorant. I said it the right way, ignorant. You leave a vowel out. You end with just three consonants there, ignorant. Rebellious and resistant we are. And that's what's happening in verse 31. Look at it. But... Israel, pursuing the law of 
righteousness. Look at me a minute. Right there, that word pursuing in the original language, the Greek, is in a tense that indicates it's ongoing. It's continual. They won't let up. We're going this way and we just keep going this way. We will not let up. We persist in going this way, pursuing the law of righteousness, not one time, but over and over and over and over. We're on it. It's what we know. It's what we can relate to. It's what we can get our heads and our hands around. And so they just kept on doing what they understood best and what made most sense to them. That's very hard for us to not do. It's not just the Jews. It's not just but Israel. It's but people. It makes sense to me that there'd be this law and God gave us the law to show us what we're supposed to do and we try to do it. If we do it better than other people are doing it, we go to heaven. Makes sense to me. I can relate to that. I can get my head and my hands around that and work it. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness. Got anybody like that here today? Is there something that makes perfect sense to you? And that's your answer as to why you think you're a Christian. It makes sense. Just cha-ching. Settle in with that. Yes. Seems right. Let me ask it to you this way. We're on week four now with me really trying to give you the gospel and point to Christ and unravel some of the resistance. Have you been asking God to show you his way of salvation? Or have you been week after week, even if you haven't emailed me, internally arguing and defending and picking apart what I'm presenting from scripture, still just solidly settled in your position of what you believe, what makes sense to you, what you can relate to. I want you to see a word in Romans 10, 3 there that indicates that's our tendency. That's our huge tendency. Romans chapter 10, verse 3, last phrase. They have not, what's that next word? Submitted. We just won't submit To what God has revealed. Instead we keep saying. Look at this. This makes more sense. Look at this. I can relate to this. I can do this. Look. Not submit to the righteousness of God. But maybe you're confused. Maybe I've confused you now. And you're saying. But Brad. What's wrong with trying to get righteousness through the law? Isn't that why God gave us the law? For us to try to keep it. See the standard. Please him. Do better than others. And get to go to heaven. Well, you might think so. Because that makes sense to us. But I want to, in the time we have left, we're going to jump to other places in the Bible now. And I want to give you three clarifications regarding why God gave us the law. Three clarifications as to why God gave us his law. Number one, God doesn't call us to be saved by the law. There, I said it. God doesn't call us to be saved by the law. In fact, when you try to use something to do what it was never designed to do, often you get hurt or killed in the process. Let's think in terms of our world here. It's usually the male gender. It's usually men. 
taking something that wasn't designed to do what he's about to do and thinking, I think I'll do this with it. Whether it's my lawn chair connected to a helium tank and let's see how high it'll go out of the backyard. I mean, women don't think this way. Girl, even little boys, when you watch them, I've raised boys, I've raised girls. Girls do not think, wonder what would happen if we light that, burn that, pour these two things together. Could we jump off that? No thought as to injuries whatsoever. It's just always, what if? Wonder what? And because of that, men invent a lot of things and die sooner than women. It's just a fact. You know, insurance companies know this. There's great discoveries that have been made and lots of funerals. Because it's just like, what if? What if? What if? And, and, And teenage boys, oh my word. I mean, they fight over who gets to do the stupid thing. Once they all think of it, you know what? What if one of us do, do, I, 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 I want to go, I want to go, I want to do it. Instead of thinking, let's see if he dies. No, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. I'll never forget reading about a man who tried to use his lawnmower as a hedge trimmer. Can you do that? Yeah, you can. It's messy. He cranked that baby up and he, he tried to lift it in the air and run it along the top of his head. And guess what? He got hurt. Some of his fingers were cut off. Imagine that. Imagine. But because we live in America and there's a measure of insanity among some of our lawyers, he sued the manufacturer of the lawnmower and he won, saying he was not sufficiently warned to not use it that way. Okay, so let me, let me get this straight. I'm making something and I have to anticipate, we got to brainstorm, we got to have a creative meeting with everybody at my company and brainstorm every stupid thing, every stupid person might ever think to do with my product besides what I designed it to do. And then print up this ginormous warning label of all the stupid things possibly you could do with this and hang it on the side of that product. Listen, God knows how easily confused we are, and I'm going to say it, and stupid. Because, and here, you say, Brad, why you, how? When you read your Bible, what is the animal that is the metaphor for us? Is it sheep, dog? Super smart, super smart creatures. No, 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 not sheep, dog, not elephant. I've been told elephants are really smart. Not elephant, sheep. Stupid. I mean, when they fall on their back, they just lay there. I can't get up. I can't get up. Get up. Roll to the right. Roll to the left. No, can't. That's us. If one of them goes off a cliff, just munching his way to the edge, they don't all say, I heard Freddie screaming. That sounded painful. Don't. They're like, he did. I will. They'll just all just just a pile of broken little sheep bodies. They're stupid. And that's what God calls us, sheep, sheep. And so get this, God does not just assume we'll figure this out. He doesn't leave it fuzzy or mysterious. He hits it head on and tells us. He gives us warning labels regarding the law. God gives us warning labels regarding what to do and not do with the law. Let me show you two of them. Let's start with Romans 3.20. Go left. If you're in Romans 9, go left to Romans chapter 3. Warning labels from God about the use of the law. Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, 
How many people? How much? No flesh will be justified. The word justified means to be made right, forgiven, clean, your record of sin wiped away. It's a legal courtroom term. By the works of the law, you keeping the law, you trying to obey the Ten Commandments, no flesh will be forgiven, made clean, made right with God, record wiped clean. Nobody, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And then, so he says what it can't do. And if you're left saying, well, then why do we have it? Why did he give it? Is it no good? Is there no use? He's going to tell you what it's good for. There's a reason he gave it. Next phrase. For by the law is the knowledge of, say it, sin. He gave us his law so you'd know what sin is and that you are a sinner because you fall short. Without the law, you constantly think you're doing better than you really are. Because you don't have the right standard. He says, look at this. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So that as you see your sin, you would long for a savior. And know you need rescue. And know that you need help. You got to have some bad news before good news even sounds like good news. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Now, big Bengals game today. And Bengals, let me hear you roar. Jungle are actually doing good this year. But you could DVR that puppy and watch it later. Or even after the game, let me give you a suggestion. Read the whole book of Galatians. This book was written to actually tell you all about law versus grace. It's that important. We have a whole book in the Bible that gives you what's the law for and what's it not. I'm going to read just a little bit in this sermon, but the whole thing is fantastic. You could read the whole book in like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Which, by the way, the fact that we have an entire book on this must tell you this is a problem. We get off track on this. This is a huge mistake we make. This is something human beings step into. Therefore, entire book making it clear. Galatians 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is, what's the next word? Say it loud. Not justified by the works of the law. Could it be any clearer? Well, then how, Paul? How is he made right? But by, say it. Say it again. But by faith. Oh, not in a system. It's not like don't use this law system. Use this system. Switch from this list to this list. It's not a list at all. It's not a system at all. It's a person. Jesus Christ, but by faith in, say it, Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ. And in case you still were unclear, he hits it again. And not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Has anybody ever been made right with God, saved by keeping the law. So if you're that Christian that runs around saying, oh, they were saved by works in the Old Testament and the New Testament is by grace, please stop. Not true. In fact, we, we hit it already, but you'd have to go back a year or so to Romans 4 when we were there. And he actually says, Abraham was saved. How? By faith. David was saved by faith. No one's ever been saved by works. It's always been by faith. Jesus Christ, by faith, by faith. Those two verses, God tells us what the law can and cannot do, what it was designed to do 
and not do. No mystery here. God's not holding out on us. So you say, Brad, what's the reason for all the confusion and misuse of the law? How did this get started? You hear it all the time. I try to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. I'm treating people the way I'd want to be treated. Why is there such a groundswell of this throughout all of the history of mankind? I'll tell you why. It's not because God misspoke or has been unclear. It's the human heart. We prefer systems. We do. Grace is unnerving. Raw, undiluted, straight up grace is unnerving because I have no place in grace. I don't bring anything to the table. No, 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 no. Give me a system where I do a little and God does something else. And it's us. We're the ones that have perpetuated this human nature. The confusion about God's law is due to the human heart. We like things that can be tracked and measured and quantified. And I can compare how I'm doing to what other people are doing. We'd rather participate in a system than throw ourselves on the mercy of a savior because we do not want to be hopeless and helpless. But we're willing to say, I'm somewhat disabled. I just need a booster shot. I need a lift. I just need a lift, a spiritual lift to get me a little higher than where I am. But listen to me, the law was never designed to lift you to a greater level of spiritual Maturity, it was designed to lead you, lead you to a savior. Let me show you what I'm talking about in Galatians 3. Turn to Galatians 3, beginning in verse 21. Galatians 3, verse 21. Now, as I read these verses, I want you to notice. You're going to see the word law mentioned a lot. And you're going to see the word faith mentioned a lot in contrast. And you're going to see the person of Jesus Christ wrapped all in it. Beginning of verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life. News alert. The law doesn't give life. It brings death. It's heavy. It says to you, you're not right. You don't measure up. You're not okay. The law doesn't bring life. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in who? Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Verse 24 is one of the most helpful, clarifying verses in all the Bible as to why God gave us the Ten Commandments and the law. Galatians 3.24. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The law isn't your savior. The law can't give you life. The law can't give you righteousness, but it can lead you to the one that does. And the reason you have to have the law lead you there is you won't even think you need that righteousness or that forgiveness or that life unless the law speaks to you and reminds you and shows you who you really are, that you're a sinner. It's a tutor to lead us to Christ. Let me illustrate it this way. 
it's a tutor to lead you or it's a signpost. It's a signpost pointing the way to our Savior. But it could never give us our ultimately what we're looking for, the ultimate destination of God's righteousness. Can the law give me God's righteousness? No, but it can lead you. It can point you to where you can. Law can't give you righteousness. It can only lead you as a sinner to a Savior who can give you his righteousness. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Like us, our family, maybe some of you took some road trips this summer. And if you did, you can thank God for signposts, signs, right? Or some navigational system that you may have purchased to add to your car or that came with the car, OnStar or whatever. Most of us are very grateful for signposts, signs, and navigational systems. They do serve a purpose. We need them. And when the kids were younger, we got five kids, but especially when the kids were younger and we're in our big conversion van and we go to Albany, Georgia every summer to see her parents for two weeks, it's a long drive. And you don't just get excited when you arrive. If you've got kids and even your own little adult heart, you get excited on the way when you see little landmarks and things that you've always seen. Like there's this barbecue place that does goat barbecue that we see. It's like, oh, there it is, there it is. I don't ever want to eat that, but it's just exciting to see that it's still there and we're getting closer. But you see signs. And so even we would cheer. I don't think most of you think that's even stupid. You just cheer when we see the sign. Welcome to Georgia. We're glad Georgia's on your mind. Ah, Georgia, we crossed the line. There's the beach. Ah." Right? And other signs. But most people wouldn't put us in the category of crazy But if people had seen our conversion van just whipping off onto the shoulder, screeching to a halt, doors fly open, five children, two adults jump out, run over to that sign that says, welcome to George or Albany, 35 miles, and wrap ourselves around the little post saying, yes, 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 this is what I've wanted to see. All year long I've thought about this. Or worse yet, if if me and my two sons, Harrison and Garrett, have hacksaws out and we're feverishly working on cutting this sign down and we strap it to the top of the van in fact as we get down there we've we've cut a number of signs down 90 miles 35 miles five miles and they're all piled up on the van but beyond all that craziness imagine if when we finally arrive to Destin or Albany we just stay huddled around the van obsessing over our signs We don't even go down to the beach and dig our toes into the sugar white sand. We don't even jump into the Caribbean teal water. We just say right there around our signs. Huddled. You'd say you're crazy. You'd say you're missing the whole point and the main thing. That's what God says to us about the law. Christ is. The law was pointing to Christ. Everything was a signpost pointing to Christ. He's your ultimate destination. Christ. There's beauty in Christ. There's life in Christ. There's hope in Christ. There's power in Christ. The law doesn't have any of that. The law points to it. Points to it. Points to it. It was meant to drive us to Christ because Christ is the goal and the fulfillment and the end for which the law existed. The whole purpose. 
And that's what Paul's telling us here in Romans 10.4. Look at it again in Romans 10.4. For Christ is the end of the law for what? Righteousness. And that's the end game. I want to be righteous. I want to be forgiven. I want to be clean. I want to be free. I want to be right. Christ is the end of the law. That was the end at which you're moving towards. In the Greek, it's telos. And it means the termination or the limit at which a thing ceases to be. In other words, you could say Christ is the terminator. He brings an end to the law as a means of righteousness. Oh, it still has a purpose, but don't dare let it take the place of Christ. Because the law cannot give you righteousness. It just points to the one who can. Christ is our righteousness. So let me ask you. It's all about a person. It's a relationship. It's not religion. It's a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ, who's alive today, living today. I'm going to ask you, do you have Christ? Do you have Christ? Is he real to you? Is he alive to you? Or is it like, uh, when, you, when, you, when someone says, are you a Christian? Is the first thing that comes to your mind, oh, I go to church on Sunday at Grace Fellowship. That's not good. Oh, I, I'm in a small group. Well, I read my Bible every day. If what comes to your mind, and if what's at the center of it all is not a living, real person that you delight in, you know him, you listen. On Thursday, he's real as sitting at my desk in that moment of discouragement, well, Lord, I just went down at work. I was encouraged. His word's real to me. I cry out to him. I don't just pray at church. I pray all the time, all throughout the week. It's real. He lives in me. He encourages me. I love him. I know him. I follow him. Christianity has at its heart and center a person, not a system, not a list. What do you have? And you could be here, and if you're a young person, and your family's, you're growing up here because your family's here, be careful and don't just assume, oh, well, my parents get it. They're in, and I'm in on their coattails. No, you're not. Have you come to the point in your life where you, for yourself, have realized, oh, it's not just stuff we do. It's not just that my parents drive to a small group one night a week. It's not just that we get up and get dressed and go to church. It's Jesus. Oh, I'm a sinner. I remember that day, young people. When I was seven, sitting in a service and the pastor was preaching about Jesus and the cross and sin and hope, that for the first time I stopped coloring the bulletin, I stopped counting the light fixtures and the number of tiles in the ceiling, I stopped looking at the painting and the baptismal that I spent hours discerning different faces. There's a fox, there's a wolf, what can I see in there? And I heard the message and I thought, oh my goodness, I am a sinner and I need a savior. And I cried out to God for a savior. Has that happened in your life? Don't tell me about your religion. Don't tell me about your activities. Tell me, is Jesus real to you? And is he in your life? That's what it means to be a Christian. Have you, have you stopped short of a savior? And are you hugging and holding on to something else that was never meant to save you and can't give you righteousness? Well, let me give you a second clarification about the law. And it's a very sobering one. You're not going to like this. Some of you are going to be really troubled by this. But it's biblical. 
Here's another clarification about the law. If you want to point to the law and talk about trying to keep the law, keep the law, keep the law, keep the law, God doesn't call us just to keep some of the law. It's all or nothing. Really sobering verse in James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. Oh, well, so much for I haven't broken all the commandments. If you've broken one, you're guilty of all. Ah, see, here's the problem. Human nature, people tend to think about the law as if it's a big window full of small individual pains. And I may have broken a few of those, but there's a lot of them that I have not. It's still intact. Wrong illustration. When you think about God's law, think of it as a giant plate glass window, single sheet of glass. Doesn't matter whether the hole's in the, this corner, this corner, or right in the middle. The whole thing's bad, shattered. Let me illustrate this with my nephew, who's a 20-something young man who amuses me to no end, as many of them do, with his antics and things he and his friends do. But as many of them also are, if they don't die, some of them actually succeed in things. He's very successful in what he does. And so he drives a BMW sport utility vehicle at like 23. And uh, so we were together for a family reunion. And we're just chatting it up on the balcony there in Gatlinburg. And he's just telling me something, some of his friends and he had done. They'd gotten together for a party. They're at somebody's house. And somebody, classic male thing, has arrived with a giant, super duper, massive slingshot that's really designed for killing things. There's not a toy. There's one of those that it's on your arm. And I guess you shoot rabbits or squirrels or something. People, things could die. You shoot lead balls. But they have brought it to the party why? What, what else could you do? You could shoot them straight up in the air and see how high they go and stand there looking for them. In the mercy of God, no one took one in the face or has major dental work to take care of now. But one of them did go over the house. And so they go run into the front of the house to see if there's a body that's gasping its last breath out that has been killed by this lead ball. And they don't see anybody. Nobody's hurt. And so classic guy also is like, oh, dude, whoa. And then somebody notices right on the corner of not sunroof, moonroof. There's a moonroof on this BMW, which means almost the entire roof is glass. Someone notices there's just a little pot mark in the corner about the size of a marble. And that's it. So again, lots of high five. Dude, oh, whoa. Lots of dude. That's so funny. But while they're standing there, duding it up. Before their very eyes, it just begins to spiderweb with a million tiny hairline until it has covered the entire moon roof. And then while they all stand there, it sighs a little bit and just shatters in a million pieces down inside the interior of his leather BMW. Nobody laughing now. That's what God tells us about the law. It's all or nothing. That the law, it doesn't matter whether you've just done this or just done this. It's spider webs across all and just shatters and implodes down onto your life. Showing you, you need a, say it, 
Savior, Savior, Savior. One more clarification of the law, and here's a good one. This has been heavy so far. This has been hard. But here's one more clarification that I think is going to sound like good news to you, I hope. If you've been paying attention with the bad news and buying into it and submitting to it. Number three, clarification. God calls us to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because he has already perfectly kept the entire law for us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's why in Romans 7, 4, Paul says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. When you become a Christian, you don't turn from the law to a new system. You turn from the law to a person. You are married to him. He's your bridegroom. You're the bride. He's coming back for you. There's going to be a a final Lord's Supper, Lamb's Supper table. But right now, you're already engaged. You have a pledge He's given you a pledge, just like a young man gives a woman a ring, an engagement ring, declaring, I've asked you, you've said yes, we're getting married, we've made a commitment, but it's not been completely fulfilled yet. That's the season we're in, if you're here and you're a Christian. He's given you a pledge. Ephesians 1 says, that's the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you, that's the pledge. There's going to be more fullness later. You're going to see him face to face later. You're going to be in the presence of your Savior for eternity. New heaven and new earth. But right now in the midst of the brokenness and the sin, you have an engagement ring. The person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, Spirit of the living Christ, lives in you. Christianity is not about an external list that you try to keep. It is a relationship with a real person. Who's coming back for you. Look back at Galatians 2 again. We only read one verse in verse 16. But I want to read further. I want to show you Jesus. I want to show you how often his name shows up in this passage. In fact the word law is used five times. Jesus nine times. Nine times. Galatians chapter 2 beginning in verse 16. But we're going to go further. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by what? Faith in a person, Jesus Christ. Even we have believed Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. And now this next verse, if you grew up in church, you might know it. But maybe you've never seen it in context. Here it is. Not the law, but Jesus For I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me now. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Folks, if the law could save you, God would not have needed to send his son. The law can't save you, but the law can prep your heart and get you ready for a savior. It can tutor you and lead you. 
It can show you and convince you of your need for this Savior. But you need a Savior. You need Jesus. And that's why, despite what our world does today, despite how they talk, despite all the coexist bumper stickers, despite all the criticism and mocking we get, in fact, to be told that we're hateful, that we're so intolerant, that it's Jesus only, we cannot let up. It is Jesus only, because no one else perfectly kept the law. No one else was the God-man. No one else is fully God and fully man. No one else gave their life in payment for sin and satisfied a holy God's demands. It is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's no other way. What do you have in your life today? Or who do you have in your life today? I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to think about this because this is, this is four weeks into this now where I've really tried to lift up Jesus Christ and make clear the gospel. And I've really tried to poke holes in so many of the counterfeits that people are resting in. So I hope that I've made some of you uneasy But my goal wasn't just to make you uneasy to make you uneasy. It was to shake you to realize I don't have Jesus. I don't have the righteousness of God that's from God by faith in Jesus. You can have that today. Where are you? Do you know Jesus? Is he in your life? By faith, not works, by faith. Do you have the righteousness of God that's been applied to your account? You can have that today. You don't have to walk this aisle. You don't have to sign a card. You don't have to give money to this church. But you do have to do what Romans 10, 3 said is very hard for us. Submit to the righteousness of God. Stop saying, but I can do this. But this makes perfect sense to me. This seems to be the way. Submit. And say, you can pray the simple prayer that we began with in this series from Luke 18. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He'll save you. He'll adopt you. Make you an adopted son or daughter. He'll wipe your record of sin clean. He'll give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He'll fill you with his Holy Spirit. All by faith. Oh God, I pray that you would draw men and women to yourself, to your son. I have lifted up your son, not this church, not me, not a system, your son. And you said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Draw people to your son, Jesus. People that are self-deceived, rattle them. People that are prideful, shatter them. People that are misinformed, give them truth. People that are disinterested. Put the fear of God in them. That what we're talking about is the most important thing you could consider as a human being. Oh God, save people. By your grace and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.